You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Welcome back for another week. Oh, you didn't the- tell me to start recording, Mitch. Dang it. <laughs> didn't start recording. I would start recording now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I screwed up the int- entry anyways, the intro, so... The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geeks Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch. We are here talking about WandaVision. What are we, episode seven? Seven Episode yeah. seven did yeah. not end up being an hour like we all thought it was going to be. It only ended up being half an hour. Uh, they said it was the last three episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. So does that mean that this yeah. is not one of the last three? Well, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe. that's. I like mean, everything. Well, everything says it's supposed to be only be nine, but maybe, maybe there is a hidden tenth episode coming our Ooh. way. That's an hour long. That's an hour long. <laughs> maybe it's so hidden that it's an hour with credits. Uh, but uh, yes, this is a. We are back for another week, and I am Mitch. You. With me, as always, is John. <laughs> I'm here. Who are you? This is so weird. <laughs> Trying new things. Uh, Elizabeth? Good evening. Steven? Hi, it's me. And Jessica? Hello. <laughs> and if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we will first talk about our weeks watched each and then get right into episode seven of WandaVision, Breaking the Fourth Wall, because there's a lot to talk about or not a lot to talk about in this episode. (laughs) So first off is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what did you watch this week? Uh, So this week uh, I watched, we watched uh, the 1993 Three Musketeers. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Because, oh, my God. <laughs> because it's a fabulous movie. Um, and it was just a, a great catch-up. I had completely spaced exactly who was in it and who they played. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that Charlie Sheen is in it, I was like, oh, right. He is in it. And the fact that Chris O'Donnell, who I now think of mostly from NCIS Los Angeles, plays D'Artagnan, I'm like, "Mm, they do not look, I mean, he does not look the same. Actually, let's be fair, none of these actors look the same as they did Mm -hmm. in the 1993 movie. What? None of them look French. No, none of them look French. No. The only person that tries to do a French... English accent is the guy chasing D'Artagnan the whole time. Yeah. Like the guy who's <laughs> trying D'Artagnan! To, yeah, trying to get his to on to to 
his sister's honor, whatever. Yeah. Revenge. Which, quite honestly, is the only thing that's been stuck in my head since we've watched it. And he screams it so many times. <laughs> and he screams it at such a high pitch. Yes. That it's kind of impressive. Yes. <laughs> what were you going to say, Stephen? And it, at that point in time for his career, it made exact perfect sense for him to be D'Artagnan. That was not the course that his career took. It, yeah. This is correct. <laughs> he, yeah, it did not. It did not go that way. And yes, 20 years later for NCIS Los Angeles, you are going to look a little different. <laughs> I mean, this movie has Charlie Sheen as the... The one that's the poet, the, the poet and the the romantic one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we we now know. I mean, he's definitely had a lot of love interests, but uh, there's a lot of other things going on with that guy. So he's full of that tiger blood. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, no. So because Mitch and I were out of, we're just hiding out this week and this week, so we didn't get a chance to watch a lot of movies. But we found this on. Disney Plus, because I, he's like, I really want to watch a movie. And I was like, I really don't want to watch anything that I don't already know the ending to, because I really just, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm certain of it. I did not fall asleep, but so we settled on the Three Musketeers. You guys could have watched another familiar film that everybody loves universally together and just watched like Shrek the Third, you know? <laughs> you know, I don't care for the Shrek movies. Oh, just the first Shrek one. Two. No. Shrek 2. But yeah. I need a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we watched uh, The Three Musketeers on Disney+, Plus. had a grand time, got D'Artagnan being screamed stuck in my head for the rest of the week. I honestly, I went to um, Disney+, Plus looking for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but that doesn't exist on there, which I felt like it, it would for some reason. I don't know if that, that was a Fox movie or not, but... I think that was a new line... Was it? Okay. So maybe it's on HBO Max. I don't know. Yeah. I think I did see that one on HBO Max. So, but yeah, we ended up watching The Three Musketeers, which is fine. Like, I think both of them have... Is there a Brian Adams song in in Three Musketeers? I know what it it is in in Robin Hood, but I don't know if there is one in Three Musketeers. You're probably also thinking of Don Juan DeMarco. Yeah. Don Juan DeMarco has got that big Brian Adams ballad, so... Um, wow, nice alliteration in there, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Three Musketeers was an easy compromise. I, I this is the the struggle. This, yeah, this is our struggle. Have. This yeah. is our struggle. Elizabeth usually wants to watch something that she's already seen and and will ease her mind, whereas I want to watch new things. So. Mm. I just find something that I'm going to enjoy. And I don't think I've actually watched this Three Musketeers since high school. I just remember like on testing days, they would have it playing in the cafeteria. So (laughs) it was weird. This was not what they had playing in during testing days in the cafeteria for me. Mm. I don't know. Very strange. Uh, Yeah, that was 1993. Stephen Herrick is the director. Um, and you had a cast of uh, Chris O'Donnell, Tim Curry, uh, Martin Sheen, or no, sorry, Charlie Sheen, Oliver Platt. Probably the first thing I ever remember Oliver Platt being in and just thinking he's a great actor. Um, Kiefer Sutherland. Did I already say Kiefer Sutherland? No. No. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay, Gabrielle Anwar, which I think 
this is definitely at the beginning of Gabriel Noir's like career. Like I know her mostly from Burn Notice. Uh, yeah, hmm. Paul McGann. Hmm. Wait, that was right. That was Paul McGann. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. So Doctor Who fame. Yeah, of Doctor Who fame. The. The uh, eighth doctor, eighth doctor, was the one who screams D'Artagnan throughout the whole movie. <laughs> That's blowing oh. my mind now. All right, uh, it's it's a classic watch. It, it, it's a good time. And IMDb has Alexandre Dumas as the writer of, of the movie. Like, <laughs> good, good. Let's him in the credits. So mm-hmm. that's 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 interesting. I, I mean, I. I like all the other iterations. I don't. I, I even asked Elizabeth if she had seen the BBC show version, like that came out within the last ten years. That's a really good version of of the Three Musketeers. If anybody's watched it, I liked the one with Orlando Bloom, where he plays the Buckingham. No, the Duke of Buckingham. Yes, um, I don't, I I don't remember. I didn't care for that one as much. I like that one. What's the What's the reverse of preaching to the choir? Because that's what you were doing right now. Trying to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> like we're just blank faces for everyone. <laughs> or none of us have any idea what he's talking about. Beating a dead no. horse? I don't know. Is that the, the opposite of preaching no. to the choir? No. Yeah. No. I think I might be preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, that is on Disney Plus, so anybody can go and check that out if you have a Disney Plus account. Yep. Steven, what did you watch this week? So I don't have uh, a Geeks Watch this week. I have a Geeks Listen, I guess. Ooh. Or a, a Weeks Listen. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. So this this week, uh, I would be lying if I tried to say I did anything else with my entertainment time. Uh, well, besides reading a few comics. Um, besides listen to The Bright Sessions. Mm. Yeah, The Bright Sessions is an audio narrative, audio drama podcast. Um, that's the, the, the main thrust of it. And I feel like I'm oversimplifying by saying this, but is this counselor, therapist, what is the word that she decides to go by, Jess? Do you I, remember? I feel like it's therapist. Okay. Or counselor. Um, yeah. This, this therapist, counselor, whatever person who is helping people who have special abilities. Yes. And so it's purely just audio. They're about like 12 to 15 minutes per episode in the beginning. Yeah, they're really short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's about like 10 episodes per season as well. There's five seasons total, but it slowly becomes so much more as the stories of different patients kind of become intertwined purely because they're people with powers mm-hmm. who are inevitably going to have people who cross paths with other ment- or other like uh, people with powers and their abilities will invariably interact with each other. Um, over, over time, it becomes a lot more. And you know, there are some of those shows that go on for a long time where you've loved the whole journey, but the end isn't necessarily the part that you like the most. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. come to this perfect resolution. That's the the best thing about the whole entire series. Yeah. Uh, that's very much what this one was. And it, but in no way, shape or form is that a bad thing. The end okay. is just this nice buttoned up package deal of everything else. And it was okay. the journey. It's Lord of the Rings. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I really like that, and you can find that as far as I understand across all yeah. social, like uh, all other podcast things, YouTube, yeah. everything. I'm listening um, on Spotify, so yeah. 
And it, is it for? Go ahead. I was going to say it has a IMDb page also, so I don't know if that means oh, there's oh. any visual to go along with it. I don't know what 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 it looks like on uh, YouTube, but yep, there is a actress that is on here for Dr. Joanne Bright or Joan yeah, Bright. Yeah, so. um, yeah, it's a uh, Morizawa. I forget yeah. her first name. Julia. Julia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I, sh- I should say Lauren Shippen is the one who writes this and then uh, did the directing for the episodes and things like that. Um, the one interesting thing about it is that this is part of a larger group of audio series, much like when, like in the past when I've talked about series from Q-Code. These people also did other series, and so I just started another one from them that's actually a musical it's a musical. It's, yeah, it, it's a musical that's also playing kind of like it's a documentary. I I don't know. I'm I'm very wary of saying like or giving my stamp of approval to this one because I don't know if I really enjoy it yet, but I do like the musical part of it. Okay. But if you find yourself liking the bright sessions, come tweet at me. I'm Peppermint Jet on online. <laughs> have, have you gotten to the characters of Caleb and Adam? Yes, Caleb is one of her earlier patients. Uh, Adam uh, is mentioned earlier on, but becomes a bigger character as the story goes. What he does, I'm so excited because I was mm, sorry. I'm only like <laughs> I don't know six episodes in. So, so apparently, there's but, 20 episodes of a thing called the College Tapes. I don't know if you've yep. checked that out yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's it says it's only on a particular service or website. So I haven't gotten desperate enough and run out of audio things to go to that one but that is a very in- interesting spin-off that Jess cannot know about yet. Got you. I won't I won't read the description <laughs> then. Oh, so excited. So, yeah, it, it's it's really good. I enjoy it. It makes me want to go back to school listening to it. Cuz I I have that psych major and I'm listening to it like her first that point that she's doing with, I'm like, oh, she's having panic attacks and that's what's causing her. Mm-hmm. And then like the next session that they have, she's like, yes, you're having that. And I was like, I told her. One of the interesting things for it is that um, I forget her name. I just, I just said her name, Lauren Shippen. She's mm-hmm. actually the voice of that first patient. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. When I heard, when I listened to the credits at the end, I was like, oh, Hey, like, and uh, she's one of my favorite of the voice actors too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Brig and Snow also does a good job as Caleb. Like they're all oh, really yeah. good. Yeah. Very cool. So yes, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to the Bright Sessions. Jessica, what mm-hmm. did you watch this week? I finally okay, so I've been trying to watch this show that is based off of one of the books that I have read, a mystery novel books written by Robert Galbraith, but don't look up who Robert Galbraith actually is. And it's um, just Robert Galbraith, nobody just, else. It's just Robert Galbraith, not not a yeah. different named person. Anyway, <laughs> um, they're some of my favorite mystery novels. It's a private investigation thing, and they made a show for it called CB Strike, which is the name after the character in it. And I couldn't find it anywhere until I was flipping channels, and I got to HBO, and they were playing the new season of it on HBO. To which I went, oh my god, freaked out and looked on HBO Max and found it on HBO Max, like all of it. And so I've got my mom to watch it with me and we've we've been binging it. And my mom doesn't usually binge, but it's been like every night this week we've been getting through um, CB Strike. And it's it's so good. The acting is so great. I, could, I forgot to look up who the actors are. But the... So um, Corman or Cormor- Cormoran? Strike? Cormoran, yeah. Is yeah, Tom Cormoran Burke. Strike. 
Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. And then Robin, Robin's character, she is, she's amazing. She has a really intense sort of trauma and stuff like that. It's one of those like darker mysteries kind of thing. And where the characters all have some sort of trauma in a way. And the cases are darker. It's not like your happy-go-lucky Hallmark mystery kind of thing. Yeah, but but um, it involves um, Cormoran Strike is he's ex-military police or royal police. I cannot remember what they call it in England. Um, and now he's a private investigator in London and he is missing a leg, too. So um, it's just one of those things that's kind of important about his character is uh, he can't like chase after the criminals or anything because he's got a... Um, a stump and does, does he use his wit to get around them and cut yeah. ahead of them basically also he looks fairly intimidating like he's a big guy <laughs> like so i think that kind of helps and then um robin starts um she's she just got engaged to her boyfriend of like seven years and she gets this temp job of basically being his secretary but she ends up helping him with the case and actually Back when she was in college, she um, she she was going for psychology with the intent of getting into the criminal field in some way. But something happened to her and she ended up having to drop out of college and kind of sort of gave up on that in a way. And now being this temp secretary for strike has reawakened it. They sort of develop a friendship and it kind of just goes from there. And the there's two seasons of it right now. The first season, it follows three different books. So, like, I think the first book was The Cuckoo's Calling, and that was three episodes. And then the next book was The Silkworm. That was another two episodes. And then the third book is Career of Evil, which was another two episodes. Although I think that one should have been three or four, actually. But um, <laughs> but they they do a really good job of staying on the book. They take out a lot of stuff that I like, but but not like stuff that's like vital to understanding what's going on. And they definitely don't take out the emotional stuff or the important character development stuff. They just take out mainly stuff that involves the case. So, but it's it's really good. It's really well done. I I really like it. And the acting, I I yeah, I can't get over the acting of Robin's character. She's that's a uh, Holiday Granger is the actress who yes. plays Robin. Oh, okay. What a uh, name. <laughs> uh, like, this is a show, like, I like it, but I don't know any actor that's in it. Like, I don't know any of them. And it could be because it's a British show, but I watch a lot of British TV and I don't recognize them from anything, but they're all great and amazing. And so I think they'll be going places after this. So looking up Tom Burke, funny enough, <laughs> he played Athos in the the, the, the the Musketeer show that I was talking about from the, from the BBC. So. <laughs> uh- Bringing it back around. Bringing it back. <laughs> uh, that sounds that sounds like a really cool um, uh, show. Oh, based off novels by J.K. That's interesting. Nope, nope, nope. Didn't exist. Yes, nope. Doesn't Robert exist. Galbraith. Robert Galbraith. Oh, that's what we that's weren't supposed person. to talk about. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, that is on HBO. Max right now, or I guess originally it was on Cinemax. <laughs> Very cool, uh, John. What was on? What's on your week's watch? Well, 
first I'd like to point out that I forgot that we were going to record today. <laughs> so I hadn't actually watched anything because it's been a hectic ass week for me. So I'm like, diarrhea okay. or <laughs> Just it's, been hectic. it's been a hectic ass week. You said, yes, there's lots of uh, butt turbulence going on. Mm, so I understand. Been there. So I had about three hours and I was like, quick, I need to find something. I clicked on HBO max. First thing that jumped out at me was a, I guess it's a more of a documentary than a movie called There's No Eye in Threesome. Mm-hmm. And obviously the logical conclusion was like, well, this is John. Of course, he's going to gravitate towards a title like this. Um, however, this is actually the same title to a song from one of my favorite bands, Interpol, from their album Our Love to oh. Admire. There's a song called There's No Eye in Threesome. And I was like, well, that's a really awesome song. I have to at least read the synopsis. Um, so I started looking into it, and I guess it's a couple who um, are filmmakers themselves, and they decided to just navigate and document their journey of going through a period of experimenting with an open relationship before they fully commit to marriage, just to try it out, see if it's for them, see if they can get all of that out of their system prior to you know tying the knot and so on. And I started watching it, and within the first five minutes, I was really hooked by it. Um, I mean, it literally starts off with the two of them doing essentially what I would consider like a trust fall, but it's the both of them completely naked into a pool from like, I don't know, one of those high diving boards. And it definitely earns its uh, MA rating just from that alone, because they're completely in the buff and they don't hide away from showing any of it. But then I thought, this isn't really geeky, although I'm going to have to come back to this and really watch it again. Because I'm intrigued by what their journey is going to be. Um, I was like, nope, got to watch something that's going to be a little bit more interesting to talk about. I was so, wondering, when you started talking about what this one was, I was like, that was not the picture that John sent. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, case in point, I decided to kiss like right under that was a movie that I saw a long time ago, but never actually fully watched called This Must Be The Place. So to summarize this movie, it's a Sean Penn movie, co-starring Francis McDormand, Judd Hirsch, I believe is the name of the other main guy that's in this. Uh, he played the dad of Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day, to give you a better mental picture of who I'm talking about. So Sean Penn plays essentially a Robert Smith type character who goes by the name Cheyenne. And he's been retired from the music industry for like a couple of decades at this point in his life. He's really bored. He, you see like his daily life. He's just kind of like does these things that seem to be unrelated at first. And some people, when they see him, really like him and they remember him. Other people think he just looks weird because they don't recognize that he's an aging rock star. And some people, not many, but some people actually really, really don't like him. But you don't really understand why at first. That this this actually this starts off kind of weird. I want to say that the vibe this movie gets off is somewhere between, like, the Royal Tenenbaums and Little Miss Sunshine, in both tone and in cinematography. Um, because it's a serious movie, but there are moments that just make it kind of goofy, but not mm -hmm. in a but never does it undermine the seriousness of the actual plot. So. To tell you how this goes from, like, zero to absurd to also serious, um, he gets a phone call one day from somebody letting him know that his father's dying. Uh, and then it's not until maybe 
if not one third, maybe even halfway through the movie, you find out that his father is a Holocaust survivor. And so this kicks off the actual plot of the movie, which is that his father was hunting for most of his life. The, I guess the, the guard from the concentration camp that sort of like tormented him. Wow. Yeah, it gets pretty dark. Like it's, but at the same time, it always has this kind of slightly—I wouldn't say light tone, but it just—I guess the the way that they handle cinematography and tone in this movie isn't exactly show-offy. I would say it's like very under control. Like this director yeah. was very confident about what he was doing because the there camera's are some locked beautiful. Down a lot. Yes. Um, and there's these very, like I said, there's these very, um, like, Paul Anderson-type shots that are, like, very center-framed and just beautiful, gorgeous. The color palette, when they're in certain areas where, like, there's just dry grass, like, on the side of the road, it looks golden. And the sky's always, like, a really bright blue. Um, again, it doesn't look cartoony. It just looks like a heightened reality. Hmm. And just overall like i was just fascinated by this movie i'm like this is like a strange trip and like i'm really glad i took it once and finally because it came out like in 2011 i want to say that and sounds right I, yeah this this is an older movie but just the the character choices that sean penn makes as this character are <laughs> intriguing because you don't you you forget that it's sean penn at some point like, it's just him being this character who's basically Robert Smith. Now, the only cringy part is that... Gay, uh, Byrne, the guy from The Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. David Byrne? David yes, Byrne, David yeah. Byrne. Um, he plays a small part in this movie. Like, he does some actual acting. Mm-hmm. And he plays himself... And the scene with him and Sean Penn, not I don't want to give too many spoilers, but this is the only one that I really want to comment on. It's a little cringy because it's very self-relating to David Byrne. Mm. Like the, the Sean Penn characters, like you're a real artist. I was just a pop star. Like you make art and you're like fantastic and people still love you. And where I go, like, people like don't know what to make of me like it's just very like okay why are you like circle jerking david Byrne so much granted he's great but like this part <laughs> just feels really out of place like you could take that scene out of the movie and you wouldn't miss anything it just felt like it was inserted in just as some kind of a i don't know self-inflating moment maybe he was a producer on the movie i don't know exactly what his <laughs> maybe role was maybe it was a Rosco's but- doom thing <laughs> yeah, they got to get all those different musicians <laughs> they got he's the only one though he's the only actual musician in this thing um that makes an appearance but the whole story just is really really interesting like um i guess i also wanted to ask elizabeth because i feel like she might know is there a tradition of removing pictures from frames in someone's house especially if that person is dying or has passed i don't know of any particular cultures that remove photos of those who are passing, but it would track with um, certain traditions regarding turning photos or covering mirrors uh, during the grieving process. So that would Mm -hmm. certainly, I mean, it it would track. It it could certainly be 
but I'm not yeah, familiar they, with that tradition. Yeah, they have it. They they have that, and they definitely show that there might be some Hasidic influence there with some of the um, characters in this. But yeah, like when they go to the father's house, he's already passed at this point. And I just thought it was weird that they had all these frames on the walls. I mean, lots of them, and they were all empty. And then in the bedroom where the the body lay, um, I guess I guess there were mirrors. They were covered with fabric, just completely. I was like. Oh, yeah, that's that's fairly common um, because you don't want the soul trapped in the mirror. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my week's watch. Uh, This must be the place. And uh, that's also the title of a talking head song. So both of the movies I started watching today were based on like titles of songs. (laughs) A little touch there. Um, But yeah, this one just... Watch it for the performance alone, but if you're into cinematography like I am, I mean, definitely watch it for that too, because there's just some gorgeous shots. I literally want to go back at some point and just take random screenshots of just some of the like traveling vistas. Um, there's one scene towards the end where they're just sitting in an airport, and the way it's shot with all of the seats just being like in a row, um, it just gives it this really strange feeling of like infinity, like an infinity mirror. And, like, it's just, it's not necessary. You could have just framed it, like, simple with them two sitting on chairs. But, no, like, they took the artistic route with the shots, which I really uh, noticed and appreciated in this one. It wasn't, like I said, show-offy or calling attention to itself. It was just somebody that had a really good eye for, like, what to take a photo of. Hmm. This one was a really interesting one because I remember when this one came out, I was working in a place that sold movies and rented movies. It was, like, it was strangely hyped, like a lot of people were interested in this before it came out, even though it's a very specific kind of film, not necessarily going to get a lot of like mass audience eyes right away. And then it just went silent like two weeks after it came out. Like nobody talked about it whatsoever after this, even people who are very big like film buffs or the, the kinds that, really like to mention deep cut films just to mention the deep cut films. (laughs) Even they didn't bring this one up for a long time. And I thought that was weird because I did appreciate what I saw in it. The director on this is a Paolo Sorrento Sorrentino. And, um, I've never seen anything else from this director, but, uh, he mostly just works on Italian stuff. I mean that, and he did the two series for HBO, the, the young Pope and the new Pope, which is the young Pope was, um, Jude law and the new Pope, is Malkovich is that the one John with Moriarty? Which, which one's the one that has Moriarty? And everyone, like everyone called him like sexy pope or whatever. <laughs> no, sexy priest from Fleabag. Sexy priest. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, yep. That, that, there's a so that's a this this must be the place on HBO Max currently. Very interesting. Uh. My week's watch is Tom Hanks's new movie, News of the World. Hey, that's that's a cute code joint. Is it? Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched this. I think that's also the name of a song, I think, or album. It's also the name of the company for Fox News, right? Like, Anyways, uh, Tom Hanks, this is the movie that he was shooting in Australia when he contracted COVID. And uh, I just want to say it was a very good movie. The Tom Hanks plays the lead. He is a man 
who after coming back from the war uh goes from town to town like uh, he coming back from the civil war sorry uh goes town to town in the south and essentially reads the newspaper the local newspaper regional newspapers to the the city folk because most most of them can't read and uh they give him a dime and on this journey he comes across a uh stagecoach that's been overturned and the the hand has been hung because he's a black man and the the cargo that was in the stage shows was a young woman a young girl um she is a young girl a young white girl that was raised with uh, the kiowa uh indians natives yeah. and um it was after obviously her family had her original family had died so she is supposed to be on her way to uh, a distant aunt that she has and the the u.s army is like we are too busy there's nothing we can do about this she's gonna have to either sit here and wait three months in this podunk town or tom hanks has to take it upon himself to do it and so he does and it's it's really good movie it's i would say that the young actress helena zinga uh zingle does a really great job i'm super surprised like i am always surprised when young young uh kid actors do a good job just because i think it's rare but it's a it's a good movie it's paul greengrass so if you like a lot of his movies um you should definitely give it a try i i got it on vod Mm. yeah the, the only reason i knew anything about this was because at the end of all of the last season of the newest q code show they would just say come watch our film this film it's a, I guess it's a, is it Amazon Studios or something like that? Uh, I think, I don't know. Let me check. Because I, I feel like I remember something, some mention of that. But I'm glad to hear it was good, though. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was really well done. Like, it, it, you get in a lot of the Paul Greengrass, like, type of shooting. Like, he doesn't do all the shaky camera that he did with Born Identity or the Born movies, but he does, he does do some very different things with this, like essentially a haboob that comes through and, and, and takes out both um, Tom Hanks and the young actress characters, uh, Mm. Captain Kidd and and Cicada. So it's a, it's, it's a good watch. Uh, Okay. So let's get right into WandaVision episode seven, breaking the fourth wall. I mean, let's talk about the Cruella de Vil trailer. No, I'm just joking. Let's get. <laughs> I mean, having a show within a show would be very in keeping with this episode, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, okay. Big the big one. Agnes is uh, Agatha Harkness. Like we we saw. Surprise! The, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is so not a surprise that it uh-uh. seems like this is a th- a red herring. Like we talked about last week right like this there's got to be more going on because it's the the very campy reveal of it was so not shocking it was agatha the whole time (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i i actually loved that though i really loved seeing her manipulate everything and stuff i actually thought that was i like campy though (laughs) no the 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 campiness of it is um, to me was fine i just thought it was all very very weird was, like just it was not, also right there yeah 
and, and the fact that she's playing to the camera as if she knows that it's a camera. Like, I, I get it. It's breaking the fourth wall, like they said. But I don't know. It yeah. was all very strange. So I don't, I don't know if it's... I want it to be someone past this purely mm-hmm. because this is no surprise or anything. Yeah. But if even if it was just her and something else about the show is the direction of the show from here on out, so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that it was just Agatha, um, w- that would still be fine. But I think with the ad that we got for this one, mentioning Nexus like it did, I could see it just being, this is the end of that string of things. And it's more about introducing Nexus and reshaping Wanda's powers like they did with Nexus stuff in the comics. Because oh, back when... I guess you're going to have to explain her, Nexus stuff in the comics. So that, yeah. That's one thing I don't... Yeah. Nexus? So back, back when, um, like, uh, everything for... Every, everything for Wanda was just that she could basically kind of like manipulate prob- probability, mm-hmm. I guess. Yes, yes. And so Hex sounded more like it was just that she was just changing something. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. But there was this time, so, uh, 80s or 90s, I forget, something like that from the look of the comics, uh, where she, th- there was introduced this idea of the Nexus where there was like one witch per area or universe. And they would be the wielder of this big power for that one space. Which would be dimensional manipulation power. or I suppose. At that point in time. Which is why you could only have one per dimension. Okay. So the thing for that one was that they they wielded different ones across different spaces. At least Mm. from my understanding of this. I have not gone and looked into this in a bigger way. This is from memory. If anyone out there has better information on this one, tweet at us. But that was my understanding at the time was that it was basically like one per space, but they didn't have to have the same power for each of them. Because hmm. I remember the, the scene with her like reading a book. And yeah, the little it. bit that I know about with Agatha is that she's not necessarily a bad guy, but not also a good guy. She's at one point, she's the, the baroness or the governess, sorry, the governess for Franklin Richards of the Fantastic Four, the child of Reed Richards mm. and Sue Storm. And uh, she ends up protecting them from other witches that come through. Uh, she ends up teaming up with them to take on Annihilus. She is also the person that when Wanda originally created her twin boys, like mm-hmm. she's the one that because of the influence of someone else had to take away the memory of those twin boys from Wanda's head. So obviously there's things in there that she did that is wrong. So I don't know exactly where they're going to go with this character. And the fact that they're using her at this point as an evil character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Honestly, the biggest question I had from this entire episode, because I feel like a lot of it was fairly straightforward besides the reveal of her character in this role. Um, was was there a scene that we were supposed to get where they explained why the super big truck and the suit would be able to go through this stuff unharmed? No, yes. no there was they not. just they were just like, yeah, we brought a real big truck. Go ahead, drive the big truck through the big field. Like, I, was there a part where they were it, like, because it has super super ceramic plates on the outside, it will make it through and be able to like survive the tidal forces of the field. I mean, that the was closest we got was when agent Wu asks, what is this? And they say <laughs> it's the elite end of lunar, yeah. lunar, uh, 
vehicles. And I'm like, I don't know what the moon has anything to do with any of this, but okay. Yeah. Well, that's it, they, the, the explanation is, is episodes before when yeah. Darcy the says, radiation. yeah, exactly. It's the cosmic that's, radiation. That's why the moon comes into, into play. Like they don't it, yeah, say that in that moment about this moon, thing yeah. being tough enough to be able to survive that. They're just like, yeah, we brought a real big fucking truck. It didn't and it survive it, did it? <laughs> yes, um, it meets her specs. So I, I had no idea who this Agatha character was. I didn't know that this Agatha character existed. So while I get that for those who are diehard comic book fans, it was obvious and it was... It's so obvious it must be a red herring. For the rest of us, I it's for me it was kind of like a oh, okay, mm-hmm. like that is a surprise. Uh, I don't and think so. I think a lot of where they go depends on who they're truly playing to. I I mean I would consider myself a pretty hardcore comic book fan. I know nothing about Agatha, the, but you know she exists. I know that she exists now. the The thing the thing was that. The red herring part that I'm talking about is that Agnes was always there when things were happening. That's the part that I think is the mm-hmm. red herring. Yeah, it was so always obvious that, that she was something. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, that's I just, just I'm just saying that when the scene played out and she's like, "Ha ha, it was me!" Like in this whole very mess, m- m- uh, mustache twirling like scene, it just seemed all like this is weird. Except to me. I think it, that it, plays well, to what the show has been. Okay. The show has been Sparky. very campy. <laughs> Like that's, I mean, the whole show's kind of been geared towards that. I didn't think it felt all that out of place for everything else that had occurred. I I feel like there has to be something else other than Agatha because of when you got down into the basement and then you saw those, I don't know what they are, comic book, but to me, they're demonic runes that are (laughs) displayed. And I was like, ooh, we got some demons coming. Like, yay. (laughs) Like the the reason it, it's not even so much about like it being uh, Agatha because I mean they can play fast and loose with any characters they want. It's just that Agnes was like Mitch said like right there. It's kind of yeah. like seeing them zoom in on like a, a red necklace in the beginning of an episode of something, and you're like, well, the red <laughs> necklace is going to come back around. <laughs> no, I mean, I I I guess. I wasn't surprised that Agnes was some important person to the larger story. That yes, that was obvious, but I guess what I'm saying is I guess I agree with Stephen. I think the Agatha yes, Agatha's the one pulling Wanda's strings. I think that's where that ends. I think where we get into the bigger story is why. Because mm-hmm. I see Agatha mm-hmm. as a, almost like a Loki type character. Like, she is a mm-hmm. bad person, yeah. She's but she's more just mischievous and out for her own entertainment. And the reason that Wanda sought her help and the reason Wanda agreed to be manipulated by her is because whatever the heck's going on with S.W.O.R.D. and whatever evil uh, plans they have. So my biggest... Yeah, my my biggest grievance yeah. with the episode was uh, we get three episodes of who's this aeronautical engineer that she's been talking to, and it turns out to be nobody. Like it's nobody, nobody. important. It's not it's a big person great. in the comic books. It's just this major that they made up for the show. It's not nobody. Where is it? 
Could be two things. Cool. Uh, one theory is that we haven't actually seen the actual engineer. These were just the people that delivered it. Mm-hmm. And two, if that uh, officer or what were they, Lieutenant Goodner, or I can't remember mm-hmm. what yes, her name Goodner. was. Um, she, they, some people think she could be the little girl squirrel that Monica befriended when in uh, Captain Marvel. Okay, sure. But, but that's not revealed in this episode, and that's what we were told, that we were going to find out who the friend is in this episode. I, oh, oh, actually, I had a thing. I had a thing. This isn't, this isn't in keeping with this, but someone remind me to bring a thing up after this. Okay. okay. <laughs> just a thing. Okay. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying the, the way they kept teasing it made it seem like it was going to... Now, is that, yeah. is, that, is that their fault? No, that's my fault for putting in this hype in my mind about <laughs> them bringing something in, bringing somebody up. Like, it just constantly kept coming up. Maybe that was intentional? It, it was that Luke Skywalker episode of The Mandalorian that has us going there. I mean, Wait, yeah. Luke was in The Mandalorian? Yeah. <laughs> okay, come on. It's, it's Spoilers. <laughs> okay, come on, people. <laughs> so, I, I thought that was... Anticlimactic. I guess that was a, a big a big turnoff for me on this episode. Um, I do agree. However, maybe they're just edging you a little bit, and like the big reveal hasn't happened yet. I mean, that's a possibility. But however, uh, she is, supposedly works for Sword as well. Now, why would she be helping? I understand that they're friends, but like the director of Sword is telling them not to help. Like, well, I don't think she was a part of Sword. It's a Sword equipment. Yeah, it says and, and, sword right on there. I, yeah, I know, but I don't think that the friend was no, sword. No, she, she had a sword thing on her on her uniform. Mm-hmm. On her uniform? Yeah. She specifically said she was loyal to her mother. And that's yeah. not the only one she's that's, loyal to. Which is fine. I get it. I get it. That's. It, but I don't know. That it also seems weird. Hey, when you're in the it's government, treason. you it's don't necessarily treason. have to follow the head of your department. You can go above them if it's warranted. I mean, who's no, above Mitch, the director? Mitch, of Mitch the... and Jess, as people who work for the government in in, <laughs> in different manners, is is this a normal thing on base? Yeah, if, if oh, no, you, you'd get a lot of reprimands. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not like he's just the uh, the supervisor above her. This is the director of the the, the, the organization. Uh, yeah, so. plausible deniability. No, like... Did he put out an, a, a system wide memo that she is no longer? an active member of of sword because if if monica is still an active member of sword plausible deniability she still ranks above me the director hasn't told me to stop listening to her i'm gonna do what she asks there you go okay that's That's a workaround excel let's go with that uh (laughs) and because monica has taken it upon herself to just go ahead and walk through uh the hex in a outfit that is very reminiscent of her comic book accurate like costume. Uh, we get we get to see her powers on 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 display. Uh, her photon powers. Her say, her, her contacts her, were on display. Was about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to see her see on the through the light spectrum in different ways. I guess. Uh, okay. Cool. It took me a second to be like, I was like, wait a minute, what? And I was like, oh wait, is she seeing all the light possibility? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. If, if I remember correctly, that's what, she first takes on the name of Captain Marvel, but then she takes on the name of Photon, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that's it's it's all about light with her. She has light manipulation powers, uh, which that's cool. makes sense when she's going up against Wanda, I guess. 
honestly, I'm very glad that we're getting to a space where we're dealing with comic book characters that I know nothing about. Oh, I, yeah. I could not be more happy to be getting to that space, guys. I feel like that's where we have to go. They've used a lot of their characters so far in the MCU. Uh, well, except they have not used them all because NPR did a Planet Money podcast <laughs> on Doorman. Apparently, that is a... There's Doorman. Well, you're talking about the Great Lake Avengers and like even the Great Lake Avengers don't really get Doorman. much place. Yeah, there's Doorman, there's 2D Man, there's uh, Immortal they have, Man. They have 10,000 superheroes that they, they have the intellectual yeah. property rights for. Oh, yeah. They got a lot. I mean, that, and I guess that means that they they weren't including the Spider-Man type characters because Spider-Man, though Marvel, is not in the MCU. Oh, they just said oh, Marvel. They just said Marvel. Okay. Yet. What was that? Hmm? See, that's why we haven't gotten the spot yet. That's why we haven't gotten the spot yet. But Sony is going to make everybody. Like, they've decided <laughs> all the villains are going to get their own movie. So <laughs> just wait for 2023, the spot. Can we? I don't want this. <laughs> can I switch gears and talk about the fact that Darcy, when Vision like pulled her out, like there was no screaming, there was no general upset. She's like, "Oh, okay, thanks. That was nice. All right, let's get going." Like there was just, there was just. I would hit say the that, ground running. I would say that's because because she she hadn't been in she it knew. that long. Like those, they're like the what's the dude that worked with Norman. with Vision? Yeah, Norm or whatever his name was. Yeah, just he was he'd been in there a while. He's worried about his his dad or mom or whoever it was his sister supposed to be taking care of and yeah dad and like he said that they're tormenting her that she is tormenting us kind of thing so real quick side note go ahead go ahead i was gonna bring up a real quick side note (laughs) um that episode where that happened with norm was an episode later from when they had that scene where they were like breaking down who was uh inside wandavision and um, people were able to zoom in on his like profile information, and all of that incident was documented on there already before it happened in the show proper. So there could be something going on with the editing or the timeline how it played out, but mm-hmm. they had already recorded. Unless that happened multiple times, and this is just the first time we've seen it, mm. um, where Vision wakes up people. Uh, yeah, that that was already like in the episode prior to that scene happening. They had already talked about it happening. Yeah, I would say it's probably just bad editing. Like, I I would think it definitely seemed like that was the first time he brought somebody out of a out of the trance. Mm-hmm. So the time, the, but in this one, I would say when we're delivered the show versus when they're seeing it in the space where Darcy exists, don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily be the same because we're, we also see different things from what they see because yeah. they see the parts where something is edited or no we see parts that are edited out of the broadcast they see. Correct. Yeah. So that's true. Um, I was going to say that Darcy did say it was not nice. Like she did react like that, that really sucked. But I think the other thing that Darcy has that other people don't have is that Darcy knew what was happening to her. Like, so it might not have been as bad because she kind of already knew it. And she, like, I would say like the reason why she was just like, Oh, that's what happened to me. That logical doctor part of her brain probably just went, I gotta 
help this situation go kind of thing like she's also darcy. I, I gotta get over it basically she's also darcy she was uh, kind yeah, of excited just, a little bit to be a guest spot on yeah. the show yeah you gotta stop her that's even making comments to vision about how she's watched she's been a fan of wandavision from the beginning and (laughs) (laughs) she was was watching before it was cool uh well i mean how how did everybody feel about the modern modern family office version of the show like uh the confessionals and i mean the the beginning of the show the intro the theme is definitely the office-esque so yeah, no, it's it's they they changed the progression from like minor to major at a couple points. They just yeah. tweaked the note that made it go down instead of up here. That was very much when you go like royalty free office theme song <laughs> on YouTube. Like that's what that was. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh huh. So it. the final logo for one division in that sequence looked like the logo for the Devil Wears Prada, which I don't know if that's. Mm in tune more with the whole could there could be demonic presences here or just an odd coincidence hmm. <laughs> the devil wears guess <laughs> <laughs> or, or oshkosh in the oshkosh. <laughs> so we I, I i at that point we have to talk about uh wanda's powers going on the fritz just pushing pushing too far is is making it all very uh very gummy i guess to make a call back to episode two the interesting for it was, oh, oh. Go internet Ste- podcasting. Steven, the, the, the one I thought was interesting for this was that it's it's so her powers. Uh, as I was saying before, it was like there was a bandwidth kind of thing. She was mm-hmm. going to use up all of her like processing power. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they're reverting to the previous ones. Like it's like oh no, black and white and like the twenties or the, like anything earlier. It's just easier on my brain, I guess. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what? What is that? Is it because it's like a lower resolution signal? What's what is I this? I feel like well, I feel like she spread all of her power into the walls now. Is what I assumed. Like now it's all out, and so the in is just glitching like crazy, but still trying to maintain itself because it's still the middle, so it's still the hub, but. She's putting but, all the actual force out on the walls to keep people out. It's just weird because yeah. it's, not, it's not like if, so say in, in like a real world scenario, if like, so you, you just got a haircut. It's not like under your haircut, there's your previous hair as well. Both existing, you have two haircuts. You only ever at one point in time have just the one haircut. So why are there these other versions of things that exist just under the surface of this? So it's very odd. Let me let me let me throw this one at you as a person who makes websites. Instead of getting rid of you the think, old, you think they patched it That's exactly. It? Instead of getting rid of the old thing, they're just patching over it. So as the code is wiping away, it's reverting back or something. You know, it's it's just it. Maybe she doesn't necessarily erase the old thing, but just write over the last thing. And that's why it's going back and forth. Elizabeth? I mean, the, you could definitely do that. I don't think it's a bandwidth question. I think this episode really shows that it's tied to her emotional mm-hmm. stability and mental mm-hmm. stability. And, you know, this whole episode's about her not feeling well, like not, she needs a day to herself. She's overwhelmed. She's. So I think things are reverting because she can't keep track of what she's supposed to be looking at. I think she's just losing a little bit of control because she's losing a little bit of control in herself. 
in terms of I'll emotions. Take that one. Because things stopped changing the minute she walked into Agatha, Agatha, Agnes's house and she became hyper aware of what was going on and hyper focused on the twins. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to be there with you on this one, but I think the fact that she kept vision away, because basically the whole thing is supposed to be keeping this facade up for vision, kind of not necessarily as cut and dry as that, but that's who she maintains a lot of the facade of all the other people moving at all times. Mm-hmm. Four, if she's in Agatha's space where Agatha is the ruler of her own thing, then nothing she like she didn't have to command anything. I think that was also the part of when she took the TV, the TV was playing something in her own house. The TV stopped playing things because but I think- her power is in my mind stretched too thin. So if vision is far away, she doesn't have to maintain anything for him. Just those like little kindergartners with their cute little ropes. <laughs> I called donuts. <laughs> but, but I think I think making the assumption that it was Wanda that's keeping him away is also false. Like it was, oh, yeah. it was, fair. it was Agnes who got him to go all the way to the edge of town in the in the the previous mm-hmm. episode. It could be her that keeps that is keeping vision vision apart. away. Because I mean, even even uh, uh, Wanda is talking like when she's talking to the twins, like I don't know if your father wanted to be here, he'd be here, like kind of thing. Like yeah. it, she doesn't. Uh-huh necessarily maybe it's her subconscious mind that's keeping him away but like she seems more like she wants to have him there so and i'll agree with this one that that like it doesn't have to be that she's the one keeping him away mm-hmm. but i do think the reason that he is being kept away is to maintain her power however i thought i just to myself myself the whole time i just feel like why is he just sitting in the truck why not just pick the truck up and go yeah. or just just oh, yeah. fly away until he finally does fly away and I, I don't know. It seemed it seemed weird, and then yeah, Darcy's just left there by herself. Uh, once again, uh, he did a great job of imitating. Oh man, I can't remember the name of the the actor who plays Phil Dumphy on on Modern oh. Family. But however, he is also that actor is a part of the MCU because he's in the Incredible Hulk. Like he plays <laughs> Doc Samson. So huh. there's there's that. Um, there was an interesting story I heard this week about Paul Bettany where he had basically that he had a conversation with uh, I forget it's like a talent per, like an uh, agent person or someone of that effect I forget who it was an executive but they basically had this conversation with him saying that his career was essentially over really and then he walked out of that meeting and got the call about playing vision after having already been the person playing Jarvis's voice mm-hmm. oh okay I said, I've heard that story also. It's an interesting one. Because, I mean, at this yeah. point in time, I, I don't, I, I never thought he was a bad actor by any, by any metric. I thought he was a great actor. I've, I've loved him ever since I saw him as freaking Chaucer. Yes. <laughs> I loved him as Chaucer. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's tale. Um, uh, but yeah, it, I, yeah. I, just, I can't imagine him being in a spot where someone was like, yeah, man, no, sorry, that's it. Well, one of the, the the reasons why he's he was the voice of Jarvis is because he was in Wimbledon with John Favreau. Like that was he he they were just good friends after that. So he just asked him to be the voice of Jarvis, and I mean, thus kicked off that part of his career. So that's interesting. You know and, that Johnny Depp movie didn't do him any favors, though. No, that was a bad movie. <laughs> Mordecai. Does anyone have? Mordecai, Mordecai, wasn't that a... No, never mind, I'm sorry, wrong movie. 
No, it was the the one where the was it called the holiday or something where Angelina Jolie. Oh, you're thinking of the no. tourist. Yes, that's yeah, the, the one. tourist. Yeah. Yes. Was he in that one? I thought you were talking about yeah. Mordecai. Oh. No, he was the the prosecuting or the guy who was after yeah. the thief guy that Johnny Depp actually was. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was well, thinking of Ty Burrell. Kinda... The actor was Ty Burrell. Oh. Mm. Oh, that For was the same with the whole modern family thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does does anyone have theories going forward? Well, who would Agatha Christie want back from the dead? Harkness. Poirot. Not Agatha Christie. What? Yeah. Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Who would Agatha, which Agatha want? <laughs> want she wants back to bring back the, the Orient Express. I feel like she wants to use Wanda to bring back somebody from the dead because she doesn't have the power to do it or to help her bring back somebody from the dead. But I don't know who that person would be because I don't know comics. I well, think it's I feel like her end game might be. I mean, yes, it, it could be a tie into the rest of the MCU as it is and bring back somebody from the dead. Uh, I think it also could be introducing the big character that everybody's been saying is going to be introduced into this, and that'd be the <laughs> the devil devil like character of the MC, of the Marvel comics. Um, I don't know that 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 could be interesting either way. Uh, I mean, would the devil-like character be somebody that you would have to bring back from the dead, or like something along the lines of resurrection? I don't think I it's, think it's, it's John, much John. Oh, go ahead. I think I think John, are you? You got something. You got a twinkle in your eye right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was just going to bring up from comic history that I know of. I've never actually read these issues, but I've already seen enough info about them at this point. Um, there is a plot line where. The twins were essentially being used as vessels for the devil character mm -hmm. uh, in order to, be, to to get brought corporeal form. And there's this yeah. really weird art panel that I've seen where you see the devil character and each of his arms is one of the twins. Ugh, I don't know I'm if I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I'm guessing that's supposed to be some kind of abstract, you know, visual. Um but that would be my theory if, if now that the whole Agatha Harkness thing is, is panning out, um, then I've, I'm guessing where we're going with this is that she's trying to, in a sense, bring the devil to corporeal form, and this would be the best way for her to do so. That, I mean, I yeah, I, 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 to me, it would be the, the whole bringing the devil into this dimension. Like, they needed, she needed yeah. the power that wanda wields to do such a thing mm -hmm. uh i i want to know does anybody think that darcy is going to be getting any powers now that she's gone <laughs> through the hex i hope I so because i just want more of darcy <laughs> <laughs> i need that amount of sarcasm in these mcu movies i think I that's why darcy doesn't so. get powers yeah i i don't want darcy to get powers because i like i like the relief she brings being who she is mm-hmm yeah, I would think that because that would be a little messy for everybody who's in the hex to start to get powers. It, it, I think that yeah, we're true. gonna find out that uh, Monica had maybe these powers before going into the hex, or well, had something going before going into I, the hex. I feel like they awakened them through her wants because the the um, the things she was thinking of, like 
one of the quotes that was said was legit like, well, if you want to meet your mom halfway, you're going to have to get powers like Aunt Carol. Mm-hmm. And so she, and then she gets I think she didn't have them before or maybe she kind of almost had them. I think she willed them into it. And I think also the fact that she did something heroic did it. And Darcy was and I, I don't want Darcy to have like super duper powers, but just something. And I don't want it to change her personality. But I just, having an utterly sarcastic superhero is always one of my favorite. <laughs> things. It's why I like Jessica Jones so much because she's just. Yeah, I'm super powerful, but. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of along the lines I kind of want to see. <laughs> when uh, I, did anybody notice when Monica was going through and she was splitting into the different like versions of herself? Was the child there? The the act, young actress who played her in Captain Marvel was she also in there? I couldn't quite tell. I see it. I don't see it. Okay, I thought I thought I did catch it, but I could have been wrong. Heard it, but didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. it was audio. It was interesting. So my love of subtitles continues mm-hmm. forever. Uh, mm. This episode had two situations where it was great to have subtitles on. One being that scene in particular, because there was so much that would have otherwise been inaudible mm-hmm. to hear a full sentence from. Yeah. And then there was a part. Did it, does anyone else watch with subtitles turned on? I yes. didn't this I, time. I did, but I missed it halfway through because we just refreshed our a Roku and I didn't realize subtitles weren't on until I got mm. to that part and I was like, I can't worth the saying, why aren't the subtitles on? Why didn't I put the <laughs> subtitles on? Like one so. of the things that I like the most with subtitles is that oftentimes they make the subtitle track based off of some early version of things and it's just baked in. And then a, a later edit of something might have something removed from the sound design. And this was one where we very clearly had one of those. In in the morning when uh, when Wanda was walking around and she's going to go get cereal and everything like that, there was a radio show that was supposed to be playing mm. under there. Uh, so there's this part where I have the I, I took pictures of all of them and I was so apologetic <laughs> to Naima because I was like I'm sorry I got to get pictures of all of them. <laughs> uh, so the the person on the the radio which they they said RJ whatever that means radio jockey I have no idea. But it says RJ and it says, good morning, uh, Westview, West, West Viewians. Thanks for tuning in to WNDA. Uh, and then, um, one of these is out of order. So I apologize. Um, oh God, my, my picture went away, but it, it says like, uh, good morning. Um, basically like we're, we're so happy to have, uh, like you guys all enjoyed Halloween out there and everything. And then the person says, uh, it's always such a treat to see those creepy kiddos out and about once a year. And then the person says, not a thing weighing heavily on your conscience <laughs> in the subtitle. Uh, later on, we'll hear some tips. Sorry, this, this is very hard. On how to resist temptation to all that leftover candy. Mm-hmm. Um, or just eat it all. Uh, and a, a, like a, just a couple of different things that were in there. I don't know. It was just interesting. I'd like to have heard the tone that it was delivered with to hear if it was someone being snide, like we might expect Agatha to sound like. Mm. Probably. I should have like, transposed that a little better than looking at the subtitles. I, I hear that it was all her the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, uh, this episode is also the episode, the first episode we get a mid credit scene. So, 
which was Monica looking into the basement of Agatha's house or Agnes's house. And um, Pietro finally shows up. And he's just like, what was it? What did he say? Snooper's uh, gonna snoop. Oh, that's, that's right. The one. <laughs> Snooper's gonna snoop. And then they cut away. Like, like the fact that they had him in the credits, I was like, well, he didn't show up in the whole episode. But they still have Deborah, Deborah Joe Rupp in the in the credits, too, and she wasn't in the episode. Really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't catch that her name was in there. Yeah, I did. They, speaking of, do are the credits changing? The, the yeah, animation? At, at the end? Yeah. So the, this one, it was more glitchy for sure, but the objects I haven't seen change. Okay. In the previous ones, they were very clear, well, as clear as it can be made of those those little cells. But this one had things kind of like jittering out when they transitioned out of frame. Gotcha. Or out of view. Okay. Anything else? Anything else anybody wants to bring up? Um, Wanda did mention to the twins that Pietro is not their uncle. Um early Wait, she on. was in the episode. I'm Where sorry, Deborah Joe Rep was in there. Where? She was in the background. She was in the background when there was the whole thing happening between Oh, so in uh, the, it's Ag- all Agatha? Agatha? Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Okay, never mind then. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, John. Oh no, no worry, no biggie there. Um I just wanted to point out that I loved Wanda's like mental deterioration in this episode. It was played for laughs, but it was very realistic depiction of like just having depression, mm. you know, being in bed, being disassociated, you know, still being in your pajamas and barely making yourself something to eat. Yep. And just being very, very nihilistic to your children. Um, I think I've been guilty a couple of times of saying things like, you know, existence is just perception and you make of it what you will to my seven-year-old yes gonna make her very philosophical at an early age um so yeah I, I just really appreciated that whole thing and then the times when they're doing the um the confessionals the, the modern family style ones and the, man her acting is just so excellent because you can see that that freaking out behind the eyes so well and, and, and hiding it with that fake smile. And especially when she's saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she says it more sternly, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like, geez, woman, that's so good. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Just praising, uh, you know, who would have thought that uh, the Olsen twins' uh, baby sister was going to be so good at this kind of thing? <laughs> who would have thought? Because I didn't think it. <laughs> it was actually when she did her first confessional thing that my mom was like, oh, she really looks like her sisters in this shot. And I was like, her sisters? <laughs> my mom was literally like, the twins, Mary Kate and Ashley. And I was like, the Olsen? Twins and Elizabeth Olsen are just like, like an explosion in my brain. I'm like, what? But she's you know a good what's actress. crazy <laughs> is if you look at the a picture of the three of them together. I mean, she's still young and exuberant, and there's just something off about the Olsen twins. Well, they're they, tired. Well, they're, 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 they're tired. Like they've been acting since they were like three, and they've also like, run a billion dollar yeah. industry, like. Yeah. yeah, like I, I get it, but it's just bizarre because they also do look so similar, but like the Olsen twins now look like gelfing future versions of <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen. It's just it, it's a little weird. 
I'm not hating on them, you know. I grew up watching their show, You're but not. it's just like, uh, wow, like you guys have been through something. Like, yeah, it's, it's called, called being a child actor. A female actor that people watch grow up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, like, I guess Elizabeth didn't start till. I think that's why I didn't know they were related. Because I don't remember Elizabeth doing anything as a kid with them or anything. So, no. yeah, she just kind of. At least I don't up remember. Yeah, yeah, she started I up at, she probably, her early twenties. This this yeah. might be considered a, a dark fact. It's by far not fun at all. Um, but it was just interesting to mention that Heath Ledger passed away at the apartment of one of the Olsen twins. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's just a really bizarre thing that I know. I don't know why. Because they were dating at the time. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. I thought that hmm. was the one that was married to the billionaire, but I guess that could have been the other one. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Anyways. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I'm not going to look too much into it. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see one of uh, Elizabeth Olsen's first movies, check out Silent House. It's a it's it's all shot to be, to look like a one take, but it's actually really it's a really good movie. Give it give it a try. Yeah. Um yeah, if if nobody else has any other insights or or predictions, we can go ahead and close out. Uh, if you want to give me some of your insights or predictions, find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Uh, Jessica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter as J.M. Bailey writes. John? You can find me on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. Steven? Uh, you don't have to come find me. Uh, I, I mentioned my social media earlier. I actually go look up some of our like friends of the show. They do a couple of different podcasts. Um, one of those is is uh, We Have Issues podcast. Um, that looks like Whip Oddcast. <laughs> if you go to find them on Twitter, uh, and then uh, Jukebox Vertigo is another one of their shows. Elizabeth, you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media on our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekleetmedia.com. Go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash geekleetmedia for exclusive material if you were one of our patrons. And whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us. It helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to... Geek, geek out. out! Geek, geek out! out. This concludes our broadcast.